With a PhD from Stanford and having taught at Yale, Dr. Roger Shank has spent altogether over three decades trying to, trying to solve the big problems in artificial intelligence. In this interview, Dr. Shank tells us uh, about the kind of helpful teaching artificial intelligence that would go beyond Siri and potentially help us to make the right decisions at the right times given our own objectives. He explains why he believes such a project is not being pursued by Google and why it's not on their agenda and what he believes might be required to create such an AI. Here's Roger. And it was a lot about making computers play chess. And if you wonder why they were working on computers playing chess, they thought that chess was something smart people did. And if you could get a computer to do something like that, everyone would think computers could be smart. Yeah, just like a smart person. Hey, you can play chess. Unfortunately, although there were some very clever people who defined the field that way, it was a horrific mistake to define it that way. And what we got was a field called artificial intelligence, which is so confusing to people as to what it might be about, that even in the, in the field, people don't understand that much about what it might be about. So when you hear Elon Musk or Stephen Hawking making a pronouncement about AI, I doubt they have a clue what AI is. It, yeah, no, I'm, 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 I'm with you as well sometimes. I mean, you know, Gates himself has made statements, and I'm sure Hawking's not a total nimrod, but, but you know, as, as you're sort of pointing out, maybe his academic grounding is not necessarily in uh, artificial intelligence. Well, not only is it not in it, neither he nor Gates or Musk understand a thing about it. Yeah, so, yeah, li likely it's not. It's well for them to make statements, but they don't understand the issues. I can explain the issues to you easily. No, that, that's great, and, and that's honestly, that's what I'm here for. I mean, because you were at Stanford, you're probably familiar with Nils Nielsen. Oh, I knew Nils, yes, why? Yeah, no, he was he was on the show a while ago. I mean, no, so, so, so not everybody's a, a young Nils pup. Nielsen and I never agreed on a thing, so it's nothing, we're not going to agree on anything now. Oh, really? Okay. He, you know, he wasn't, uh, he wasn't all that super far out in his perspectives either. He was, uh, you know, he, he, and he's, he's, he's uh, kind of retired now, it's not... But but he did he did write a book about uh, a little bit of the history of AI. But either way, I'm sure there's there's various. Okay, we never agreed on anything. Wow. He was not at Stanford when I was at Stanford. He was at SRI. He went to Stanford. Oh yeah yeah okay okay yeah he got bumped over. Um, I, I mean you know I told you I was at Stanford a really long time. Ago. Yep. But I was living in the AI lab. I was part of the AI lab. And I didn't start my own AI lab again. But yep. look, here's the issue. Okay. Sure. That's why I'm starting to talk about chess. Yeah. Here's the argument about chess. There are two ways you could approach getting a computer to play chess. One, get it to do a lot of fast mathematical calculations 10,000 moves ahead of time and thus do things that people could never do. Or second, have it try to imitate how a grandmaster plays chess and try to do it that way. The vast majority of people working in AI chose method number one. Hmm. I and other people like me thought that made no sense because if you could get a computer to do a lot of things, it wouldn't make it intelligent, it would just make it look like it might be intelligent. But in fact, it was doing stuff that no person could possibly do or would ever do. Yep. And I always saw AI as being a field that could tell us more about people than anything else by getting us to figure out how to imitate people by doing the kinds of things people do. That's interesting, okay. Now why does that matter? It matters, I will tell you the number one thing people do, it's pretty obvious, I'm doing it right now. <laughs> they talk to each other. They communicate, yes. They talk. Right. Guess how hard that is. That it, is phenomenally hard. That is the subsection of AI. It's called natural language processing, the part that I worked on my whole life. And I understand how far away we are from that. So when we start talking about getting computers to do wonderful whiz-bang things, we're talking about a different part of AI than the part of AI that I worked in or the part of AI that people imagine. 
you see a movie and it has an intelligent robot, somehow that robot always talks. You know, the issue is, does that have a point of view that's new and you haven't heard of recently? Or can it engage in an interesting argument with you? Or does it have something that it wants to teach you or that you can teach it? And then after you did it, talk to it a while, it would now be smarter. Those are the right questions for AI. And most people who talk about AI today don't talk about those questions. It Interesting. Okay, and uh, maybe maybe we'll be able to, to, to delve into that a bit. I mean, it's, it's making me think a little bit about maybe recrafting a little bit of the direction of, of the interview in, in some respect. Um, because I, to be frank, I, I think that your, your statement, as, as you're just kind of going off there, about how Hawking and these other folks, you know, are, are not familiar with, with what AI, you know, actually is and sort of how it works... Um, I think that maybe that that perspective is uh, is important for for people to uh, to hear, and then to hear from someone like yourself, you know, around how far off you really think we are, and and what kind of progress you think is legitimate compared to what is just completely silly, uh, given sort of where we are uh, what today. What just did? What did you say? When a computer does that. I'll be very impressed and say, "Wow, we have AI." You know what you just did? Gee, you caused me to think about something. <laughs> yeah. Okay, yeah. That's AI. Yeah. Right? Except I happen to know you're a person. So yes. Yeah. Computer was actually imitating either you or me and could do this this far, and we would have to be very impressed. But instead, what you have is the Turing test, which is run every year. I was a judge two years ago, and with stupid chatbots that say two words and in one second you know it couldn't possibly be a human being. And there are still people working on that and thinking, "Gee, I'm working on AI." No, you're working on something that can fool people. It's not remotely intelligent. And somebody, somebody has fooled Stephen Hawking. Okay. Not with the computer that talks to him, I have to assume, but with the fact that he's got some artificial arm that does some interesting things, which is a whole different part of AI. Here's an example. Facebook, I just noticed the other day, I wasn't happy when I saw it, I posted a family photo, and it said, it named one of the people in the photo, because it was my son, it said, oh, your, your son is in the photo, and, and blasted that around, and I thought, wow, AI has come a long way. But what I mean by that is the part of AI that was working on face recognition. Yep. It's impressive and also terrible. Really, somebody should think about whether we really want Facebook to be recognizing people in pictures. But that's a different moral issue. It's not my problem. Yep. From a technological point of view, yeah, there's a lot of parts of AI that aren't doing bad. And face recognition is one of them. In AI in the 50s and the 60s, we were always sponsored by the Defense Department here, remember? Of course. It would come up again and again of how you can automatically recognize targets for bombing purposes or how you can have killer robots. The Defense Department was not funding AI for benign reasons. Yeah, the, not, the, yeah not for chess. Much better at that. Yeah, yeah not, not for chess reasons, no. Not for chess reasons. And how do they do that? With a lot of mathematics, with a lot of calculations. You see this field of big data. Big data is an offshoot of AI, but the kind of AI was, I was arguing against when I talked about the two check approaches to chess. Yeah. I'm not saying it's bad. You know, big data is nice. If it comes up with some answers, good. It's not AI. It's not intelligence. It's doing something interesting. But it's not being intelligent. It's producing some results you may like, which is fine. But when Google search finds something for you, it has no idea what it just read. You understand? We can't have a conversation with it and say, yeah, but what's your perspective on that publication you just gave me? It doesn't know what it even found. But does that make it intelligent? Well, it's useful. So there's a big yeah. difference in intelligent in terms of simulation human intelligence and producing something which is useful to humans. And since they both got lumped on under AI, the other day somebody asked me to write an article about AI, and I said, maybe we could change the name of AI to a field of computers that does cool stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Whether we like the cool stuff or 
Huh. Now, do you see Watson as that latter or, or the former uh, approach to AI of a lot of fast stuff, whiz-bang, moving them around? Same kind of deal. It's, it's reading Wikipedia. doesn't really know what it's... Uh, you know, what it's bringing up or why it's just made associations. Do you see Watson as, as being in that same boat? Do you see it as a little bit of yes, a hybrid? It's exactly that. In fact, in some recent thing I was writing, I was analyzing some of Watson's responses, and one of them was about a person who identified and, and it, who happened to have no leg. And so you might then say, well, so what was interesting and unusual about that person, which it couldn't possibly answer, <laughs> it could find the name. And, you, you know, the, the, sense that, the sense that you can do search and come up with answers is nice. We all use it. I have no problem with it. It's not AI in the sense of that no meaning in this interview. It's nothing intelligent about it. It's the use of algorithms that work well. It's not an understanding. It gives me no insight into human beings, A, which is my interest. Yep. But the second interest that I have that may be other people's interest is the creation of a machine that would actually be useful in the sense that it really was smart. And when you brought up earlier the household robot. Now, a household robot is something I think is cool. Okay, Why? Because well, I would, everyone likes someone to do stuff for you. I would like to say, hey, robot, could you make me uh, make me dinner? And you know what I like. And have him go make me dinner. Oh, yeah. say, hey, I'm out of this. Would you like that? And that would be great. I'd want that robot in a minute. But in order to do that, you'd have to solve the natural language problem. You'd have to understand the memory problem. And you'd have to solve the learning problem. Because if I have to deal with a, a robot and it makes a bad meal, and I say to it, uh, okay, I didn't like that meal. I think you overcooked the meat. I wanted to not do it the next time. Which means it's got to get it's got to get smarter through experience, which is one of the hallmarks of intelligence. Yeah. If you have a six-year-old and you talk to him and he still talked the same way when he was twelve, you think there was some seriously dumb about him. But that's what would happen with a machine that was taught to do something and couldn't get smarter with every interaction. And AI is about simulating human intelligence. Human intelligence is about getting smarter with every interaction. At the end of this conversation, you and me, each of us will know a little bit more, maybe just about the other person. Yep. But a little bit more, and have our memories change just a little bit as a result of the experience. And computers don't do that. And when they do, we'll talk about AI. Huh. So, so Robert, let me ask: um, Do you think anyone is working on AI in the way that you mean it? In the in the way that that we're speaking of intelligence, in terms of learning experience, memory. Is there anyone uh, cracking that nut right now, or taking a swing that you think is a valiant one? Well, you're not going to be terribly shocked by this answer. Me! Oh, <laughs> yeah, of course, yeah. So, so there's that one. <laughs> Look, here's something I work on right now. Okay, I'm building a firm called Extra. It's called Experts Telling Relevant Advice. And what I'm trying to have happen is I'm trying to get a machine to say the right thing to the right person at the right moment. I always like to illustrate this with a, um, an example from the Greek shipping industry, which is, I worked as a consultant for years. So there's a, a ship going through the Suez Canal. And as it goes through the Suez Canal, the boiler catches on fire. This is a real story. And the um, captain begins to put out the fire, which happens to involve stopping the ship. His superior, the superintendent, is on the ship. He is usually, just happens to be. He says, what are you doing, you idiot? He's not putting out the fire. He says, you can't stop the ship in the Suez Canal. Well, why not? He says, because, first off, we're, ran, we're, 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 we're packed tightly. There's somebody might ram us from behind. Second off, the Egyptian authorities are corrupt. And if they see a ship idling in some way, not behaving right, they have the right and will storm the ship and seize it and seize cargo. So we're not doing that. Keep going. And I thought that was a really weird story. And then one day I, was, I met some wow. old guy on a baseball field that I was playing with, and I said, what did you used to do? And he said, I was a ship captain. I said, fire in the Suez Canal, in the boil on the Suez Canal. He said, full speed ahead. 
Wow. Well, no. But what should a smart computer be doing? What that smart superintendent did? When it saw there was a problem and the captain was dealing with, suppose the engineer wrote to the captain and said, boiler on fire, and it said, gee, we're in the Suez Canal, let me get this story from an expert who's had this experience before and tell it to you right now because you need it now. This is the intersection of memory, learning, and education, which is that the value of a computer can be in the future is to have all the wisdom of all the smart people in the world, which is usually expressed as stories, usually told in a minute or two, like I just did. Yep. And told just in time. They need it now. They don't need it later. Can you, we organize me computer memory so they know enough stuff to tell me the right thing at the right time because it knows what I'm doing. That's my question. Ah, so, okay, so, so this is... Uh, this is your approach to now. Would this would this end up being Roger? Just hypothetically, would this end up being intelligence if done well, or would this end up being a pooling of and collecting of human intelligence in a way that's accessible enough for it to uh, be like intelligence? Or w would you define maybe what you're creating as, in its furthest extent, becoming legitimately? Uh, intelligent, or would you see it as more of a advice device that's obviously massively advanced? But but um, how, how would you define the well done job of 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 this project? Well, my short answer to all the things you just said is yes. Okay. All right. The, the issue is this. Okay. On the road to getting a machine to be intelligent, you'd have to get a machine that was able to do this. Would that machine that could tell just in time relevant stories and give you advice be intelligent? No, I doubt it. I have this thing. I built it. It's not intelligence. I can't have a good conversation with it. But in a sense, I can have a good conversation with a lot of people who are in it. And that gives me access to human intelligence in a very good way. And we've had to build indexing methods inside there, inside the machine that we've copied and figured out how people do. And we've talked them to the computer, and the computer can get smarter and do better indexing. Does that mean the computer really understands what it's saying? No. But it's on the road to that. Because at some point, you have to know what human memory looks like before you simulate it. And it's amazing to me how many people in AI have simply ignored the question of human memory and learning, which is the key issue in intelligence. There are no intelligent people who don't have very well-indexed memories and don't learn and change their memories with every experience. That doesn't happen. So ask Watson one question. Did it get smarter by playing the game Jeopardy? No, done. Interesting. Uh, so so you're, you're working on the system at present. Um, and, and, you know, as, as you're articulating now, it's, it's certainly a, a different sort of way to skin the cat, uh, than what Watson's up to. Again, I'm not an academic artificial intelligence fellow, so I, I, uh, I wouldn't understand the nitty gritty, but conceptually the way you're articulating it, I'm understanding how, how your approach, uh, is, is different or this, this focus on, on learning and memory. Um, in addition to your own project, are there... Are there companies out there trying to pull this off? Are, are, there, are you aware of Siri-like projects that are aiming to include some, some degree of, of memory and changing with experience and, and actual learning the way that you're articulating it? I, I, part of my, my gut tells me, shucks, there's got to be somebody else that's, that's had that thought and really sees it as, as, as important as you do. Are there other companies or institutions trying to crack it that way? see the world the way I do and would agree with what I have to say. The question is whether those are big companies who want to invest money. There was a period of time where the Defense Department of the United States invested a lot of money in this sort of thing. And the program I just described to you was paid for by the, by the Defense Department of the United States. Wow. The same DARPA people who are always funding me. They understand why it matters. In 
infected. The army is talking to me right now. Well, what can they have? It? Right? So we're not talking about, and by the way, you can understand, DARPA, the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency, is responsible for AI and always has been. They put the money in. That's why we have this. And they're still paying attention to what I'm talking about. Are there other people? Sure. I gave a presentation this morning to a company in another country. I won't go into details, but a very big company you would know. And they said, they showed them this thing, and they said, well, we're doing something like that, too, because we. Will, I wrote a book in 1990 called Tell Me a Story, which is computers will be smart when they can tell you stories in exchange with stories that you tell, and that's what conversation is like. And we know your work on storytelling, and we have a program that tells stories to people, too. It wasn't doing exactly what I was doing, but there are plenty of people out there who understand why storytelling and a storytelling computer, by this I mean the kind of stories I'm saying now, not fiction, yep. um, that a storytelling computer is really an important step. I'm not going to be so foolish to, to tell you my machine knows what stories it's telling. It doesn't. Okay? But it's a step to understand and to simulate the right things, not the wrong things. Watson is nothing. Siri is nothing. These are things that, that fool people for a minute, and then they get frustrated and realize, you have a conversation with Siri and see how long it lasts. Right? I mean, it, it's not going to know who you are. It's not going to adapt to you. It's not going to get smarter. Now, it doesn't mean the people at, at, at Google and the people at Apple couldn't do this. They haven't found the economic need to try to do it. Believe me, plenty of my former students work for those companies. Yep. Okay? And there are plenty of people who know how to do this and are chafing at the bit how to do this. But Google's a lot more interested in new, good advertising methods or robot-driven vehicles, which, by the way, is another version of AI. Is robot-driven uh, vehicles a success of AI? Yeah, because in that case, we don't really care if they drive the way a person does. That just doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because if it's useful, then it's useful. Yeah, exactly. And that's the, when you were mentioning kind of Siri being nothing, I, I can imagine in terms of intelligence, maybe we would argue that. Maybe in terms of the same usefulness criteria, we would argue maybe it does have that. Well, that's right. It may be, although my experience with it and other people's experience with it is they get frustrated with it very quickly. But my sense is that, that you know, no one can argue Google isn't useful, right? No one argues Google is intelligent. Could we build a much more intelligent search engine? Absolutely. Did I work on that for years? Sure. Does Google try to do that? No. Why not? Very expensive, and it's not clear that they would have that much bang for the buck in doing it. That's the only question. Comparatively speaking, yeah. I mean, I know that they're relatively far-reaching, or, or you know, far-thinking. I would assume, uh, but but as you had mentioned, you know, day-to-day, uh, -to -day, uh, they've got other other areas to uh, to kind of focus their resources. Well, let's talk about intelligent search engine. How would that work? Intelligent search engine would have read all the documents, have analyzed them in some way, and gotten some perspective on them, and have understood the meaning of them. Is that impossible? No. It's quite possible. It's a lot of work. The same issue in machine translation, a subject I used to work on years ago. We thought, gee, what we could only do is imitate what a translator would do, a human translator, figure that out, and copy it. Could we have done that? Yes. But people with the big data mentality, let's do a lot of mathematics, have created what you now see in Google Translate, which is a very bad keyword translator. And the idea that keywords are somehow going to substitute or in any way relate to how people understand language is just silly. But is it useful? Well, yeah, I find Google Translate useful. It's, I also find it annoying because it's wrong so much of the time. Could we build a better one? Yes, but then it's just a question of the economics. Is it worth the amount of money, and there'll be plenty, to do that right to Google? Probably not. Curious. You know, you, you'd think, you know, X number of billion over the course of, you know, however many years, they, they might be able to uh, foot the bill if there's a company that can do it. But, but as, as you're mentioning, maybe the, the immediate return 
wouldn't uh, wouldn't necessarily be there. Um, Roger, let me ask you this as well. Um, you know, as, as you're as you're mentioning here, intelligent system in, in the way that you're referring to it, or one that can model intelligence or replicate or bring up intelligence at, at the right times in the right ways to the right people. Um, maybe not necessarily where the big bucks are focused on right now. In terms of where you see AI making strides in, let's say, the next 10 years. Now, 10 years ago, we did not have uh, self-driving cars, certainly to the degree that we do now. We did not have, uh, maybe we had Facebook, but we certainly didn't have Facebook tagging your children uh, w without you doing anything. Um, where, where in the next 10 years do you see the most likely leaps in AI function? Might not be your favorite kind of AI. Maybe it is. Maybe maybe. Uh, the, the sorts of AI that you're referring to, you, you do foresee is actually making some leaps. But overall, in terms of where AI might might go, whether it's the boring stuff, the cool stuff, whatever, um, where do you see its biggest leaps sort of coming about in, in the decade ahead of us? Remember, I don't like the term AI. So if okay. you ever answer that question, I have to concede to you. Okay, shucks, yeah, all right. Let's, I don't really think it is. let's think here. How how can we reword this? Uh, well, I'll, I'll useful things like Siri. Yeah, I... Uh, I I'll answer the question. Okay. Bill, let me comment on the answer. Yep. Right? The big strides in AI, the kind of AI that's succeeding today, have to do with statistics. Right? They're getting very good at that. So they call it big data. They're getting good at that. So what can you solve with big data? Well, clearly, face recognition. Clearly, uh, vision. So you can go build a safe driving car so, uh, because somebody it, it can see. And yeah. It can, it can react to things that it sees. Is that AI? Sure it is. It's part of AI. When I was at the, lived at the Stanford AI lab, there was a giant robot arm that used to swing around. There was a sign on the lab, caution robot vehicle. I'm talking about 1968. Yeah. The, the people in AI have been working on this for years. Are they not in AI? Yeah, they're in AI. They're not in the kind of AI that I do, but they're in AI. And I don't want to delegitimize them or say that I have no respect for it. Yeah, yeah, no, of course, of course. Right? But when, we, when you get the, the Elon Musk's and Stephen Hawking's and Bill Gates in the world commenting on AI, they don't understand these distinctions. They don't know anything about the field. Like I was in computer science for, for, for 30, 40 years, and I knew Bill Gates in, in, in many ways, but not as somebody who cared about AI. There was no AI going on at Microsoft, trust me. So he suddenly has opinions on that. He also has opinions on education, another subject he knows nothing about. So, you know, good for him, except he's ruining education. I don't care what he ruins AI. Huh. I, I can't speak on Gates's. Uh education policies personally but um so 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 you believe the, the the coming uh the coming decade ahead where the money is being poured and, and where ai is progressing uh is in kind of the, the the bigger statistical number crunching and and vision sort of domains what what might that mean or or look like like 10 years from now um, I don't know if anybody would have predicted Facebook would know how to tag your face. Maybe some people would have. But do, do you think do you think driverless cars are even viable in the coming 10 years? Is that reasonable or no? And moreover, here, I'll make a prediction for you. Sure. I think that blind men will not need seeing-eye dogs. They'll have a seeing-eye robot dog. It'll be better than what they could get with the dog. Huh. And is that possible? Sure. Okay? In other words, there's all kinds of things about the AI that I don't do that I see from the perspective of having at least known it all these years, that I think are very exciting developments. And I think the robot vehicle is very exciting. I, I love the idea. So you I'm not sure I particularly want one, but yeah, I have yeah. <laughs> yep. right. But you should understand the distinction between that and what, where my passion lies, which is what's the nature of the human mind and can we replicate it? And here's my first example why I moved into education. Sure. Because we can 
time teaching. Something that a good teacher does, more often a parent than a teacher. I see you need to learn this now because I'm seeing you struggling. Let me help you out by talking to you about this or showing you this. That's something a good parent does and a, and a good teacher at the higher levels do. Yep. In other words, PhD professors do that with their graduate students. They have one-on-one -on -one conversations with them and point them in different directions. Could we get that kind of smart teacher? Yeah, I think we could. Because we just have to understand what kind of thing somebody is struggling with and get the just-in-time teacher to pop up and help them. The problem with that is as soon as somebody says that, there'll be people who say, yes, we do something like that. It's called a math tutor. Because I'm not interested from an education point of view about tutoring people in academic subjects. I'm worried about helping people think out things in life. I'm having trouble with my girlfriend. I'm having trouble with my children. I need some advice. Okay, well, we have brilliant people who have had these problems before who have some advice. And we can get you into a simulated conversation with those brilliant people. And you would learn a lot from them. And you don't have normal access to them. Could we create that machine? Yes. Would it be an intelligent entity? No, it would be a computer program that figured out how to get the right thing to you. It would have some aspects of intelligence, but it wouldn't be getting smarter over time. Really, the ultimate definition is, of AI, in my mind, is it gets smarter with every interaction. Got it. And and with respect to, I know we're coming up to the to the end of the interview, but I'm I'm interested in your your um, your own perspectives on this. With that as the definition. You know, an, an entity that will get smarter with its interactions, smarter with its experiences, it memorizes and makes connections and uh, learns from others or, or just from, from what, what it takes in. Um, how, how drastically far and unreasonable is that from where we are today? Presumably, the bigger picture uh, threats that are sometimes conveyed in, in sort of the AI world, um, these would be... Uh, from some sort of an entity that would outsmart humans and, and the Terminator stuff would happen and all that. Um, negating even that, how, how far are we now from something that can learn? Like you said, Siri is not, you know, you don't have a robot butler that'll go make you a steak and then cook it the right way the second time. We're, we're not even there with conversations uh, in like Turing test sort of level from, from way where you're articulating. Um, how far are we from a legitimately learning, experiencing, growing sort of AI entity? Is that even reasonable? Let me tell you, me tell you how I answered that question in, in the, let's say, mid-70s. Okay. Because I, I was asked it, you could look it up. That's why I'm saying it. I said, it'll exist in my lifetime. But what I didn't know at that time was that there was going to be something called AI winter, which occurred in the early 80s. Yep. The AI was so overhyped so much commercial and venture capital money was put into it, that it, in what they called expert systems in those days, that it just didn't work. And I ran a panel, in fact, in 1984 at the AI conference on AI winter, becoming AI winter, because you could see everybody getting so overexcited about AI that pretty soon they were going to say, oh, this deal didn't work, and let's not give you any money, which is exactly what happened. So there was no AI money or AI research money from the mid-'80s till fairly recently. And suddenly this new excitement about AI scares me for exactly the reason it scared me in 1984. It's not going to happen the way people are talking. And so people get excited and they'll, they'll back off. So I can't say in my lifetime anymore, for one thing, I'm a lot older, but second off, the money that was available in AI in the mid-80s hasn't been around in the last 30 years. So do I think we could do what I'm saying? Yes, I do, eventually. But not really. it's a lot of work. And it requires a lot of money and a lot of people experimenting. And we are living in times now, I just read yesterday, that Elon Musk is now putting money into AI, <laughs> oddly enough. Yeah. He's putting in money into AI that isn't making him afraid, or whatever silliness he's saying. Okay? 
That's not the question. The question is, is there some device you'd like to have that would be really worth investing in so you should have it? And the ultimate device that I think we should have is the intelligent teacher, the one who's always there to help you every time you get into trouble and have a conversation with you and say, well, think about it this way, look at it that way, which a lot of people in this world don't have available to them in human form. They don't have a dad to ask or they don't have a good teacher to ask. And yeah. I feel sorry for them, but I would like to fix that. Do I think we could do that in the next 10, 20 years? Yes, if the money was enough. I don't know that it will be. Huh, so you, so you think it would be possible if the resources were marshaled, but as you had mentioned, sort of the utility and usefulness of the next Siri or, or the, the driverless Prius uh, may sort of trump that and, uh, and, and sort of gobble it up. And at the same time, it sounds like, from your perspective, the hype that is around artificial intelligence now around you know, the singularity and modeling human intelligence by you know, 2030 or whatever the case may be, um, that that this is the same kind of hoopla that maybe you saw once before, and that we're just going to have a little bit of a better Siri, and we'll have cars without people, but we're not going to, you know, um, we're not going to have entities four hundred times smarter than us walking around doing our jobs. Well, I would say that's about right. Remember, in my day, the, this AI work was funded by the Defense Department. Now it's funded by Google. Why does Google want to, uh, or, or Elon Musk, or whatever? Why does Google care? Why do they have Siri? Because they want to sell more phones. Not because they're trying to create an intelligent entity. I mean, their, their interests are real clear, right? And, and right, they have created the Singularity Institute with Ray Kurzweil then. Now, Ray Kurzweil, I hate to tell you, never did anything about AI in his whole life, okay? He may have edited a book of AI people. I know he edited a book that I wrote article in. He didn't do AI. I don't know what he knows about it. And he's going to start proclaiming singularities. I mean, I don't know. It's like, I as well watch the science fiction channels and listen to that stuff. Google has some interest in in how they prosper by saying things like that, I guess, they do it right. But that's not the issue. The issue is, does somebody care about it? Now, why I'm bringing up education is, does somebody care about having me have my personal advisor who represents all the what knowledge of the world? No, they don't. It's like they don't care about school and they don't care about education. On average, you never hear a politician get into an argument with another politician about how we're going to fix the schools. They don't care. It's never an argument that you'll see two candidates debate. It's amazing to me, and this is as a person who's devoted his life in the last 20 years to fixing education, how yeah. few people, corporations or politicians, care at all about kids learning and getting smarter. Huh, well, I, and I guess maybe that's why you've funneled your own focus there to try to cover that domain and at least apply some of this artificial intelligence focus to that, to that particular space. That's exactly why I do it, because I've learned a lot about what the nature of intelligence is, and I think I can have some practical help for the poor suffering school children who hate to go to school and are memorizing the quadratic formula for no reason anyone can remember. And instead of getting into complicated conversations about things they really care about, not what the school system wants to teach them, but what they want to know about and they want to do and helping them do it. That's the system I like to see. And we've learned a lot about the nature of intelligence, enough to understand what we should be building. But you don't see Elon Musk putting money into education or Google putting money into education unless they're going to try and sell some more tablets. No one is actually sitting there caring about that. That is a huh. And uh, interesting, yeah. Now, now that you bring it up, geez, I don't know why I learned the quadratic formula either. I, I sort of resent that a little bit. Um, <laughs> you know who doesn't know the quadratic formula? By the way, I asked this question very when I'm on a meet. You want to know who doesn't know it? The head of the college board. 
Yeah, jeez. I mean, it, yeah, oh man, nobody, no, I, I couldn't, uh, with a gun to my head, I couldn't pull out the quadratic Every formula for it. Every single person in the world has learned it. Yep. Why? Yeah, yeah, it's you odd. Know the answer. You want to know the answer? What is it? it when the curriculum was written down in 1892 uh, by a curriculum committee headed by the president of Harvard. The head of the math curriculum was a guy named Henry Fine, who was the chairman of the Princeton Math Department. He was selling an algebra textbook at the time, so he required the both schools. Wow, that's fascinating. Right. Yeah, go, man, we, I'm sure that's a rabbit hole we could also go, go down, Roger. I, I, uh, I, I, I think the, the education crossover is, is, is probably a rather deep one. In fact, if, if the folks who are tuned in now, you know, are, are clearly they've, they're interested in, in the, the progression of these technologies and, and sort of what might be realistic or not realistic, if they want to school themselves in what AI actually is and, and if they want to get a, uh, a decent idea and perspective uh, on the field from a resource that, that you would consider to be legitimate, where would they go? Because, Roger, I'm sure you're familiar. You know, every third Wired article or, or you know, something up on TechCrunch, and, and I like those publications, by the way. I'm not saying anything against them. But there, there's a lot of, quote-unquote, AI that, that, that's all over the place. Um, for people who really do want to learn the field uh, and, and maybe understand what would be hyped and what might be realistic, where would they go on the, the web to learn? Who, who's reputable? Where's reputable uh, to, to get a good grasp of this domain? Well, let me say this, and of course it's self-serving. I've written a lot of books, but I wrote a book in 1990 called Tell Me a Story. And it was as I was crossing from AI into education, so yep. it's not And what I was saying was, hey, if you can't do this stuff, you're not intelligent. And I was talking about computers and about people at the same time. <laughs> and it's an easy to, be, easy to read book. And I think that if you don't want to read that book, just type in Roger Shank and tell me a story, and you'll find a million people writing about it and arguing about it. And storytelling has become an accepted idea in many areas of, of like corporate training or, um, or, or, or areas of, of selling or whatever. Yeah. But it, it, it really is a book about AI. It's about if you wanted a machine to be intelligent, it would have to be able to do this stuff that people do and that stuff that people do. And you don't see that so much anymore. But anyway, Google my name. You'll see me saying a million things. Okay, cool. So that might be a place to glean a little bit more of your perspective. Roger, I certainly appreciate you being here on the podcast with us, and thank you again so much. Okay, thank you. Boom, that is an interview, sir. We just got her done. Um, hey, thanks for tuning in, guys. If you're an entrepreneur or a future thinker uh, with an interest in businesses, transitions, or technologies that have the potential to alter human potential, and make sure you check out techemergence.com. It's our main blog site where you can see all of our other interviews with uh, top startup leaders, uh, entrepreneurship experts, and folks in the domain of technology, cutting-edge emerging technology. Uh, if you have a particular interest in how technology can affect the future of human consciousness and our conscious experience, then be sure to also check out sentientpotential.com. There we explore a lot of the ethical considerations and really serious moral matters of emerging technologies, in addition to interviews with great philosophers and technology experts of our day. Uh, more than anything else, always feel free to reach out if you can find us via email. Um, you can reach out to us there or whatever other way. Find us on the blog. Be sure to drop comments. We believe that the serious uh, conversation about the future is not only open-minded, but also interdisciplinary and multifaceted. So we'd like nothing more than to be able to glean your ideas as well. Uh, so with that being said, with the best of intentions for a brilliant future, this is Dan Fagella signing off. And we'll see you next week.